If I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. And as I've said before, if you don't have one at home, feel free to take that home, and that is our gift to you. Now, you can put your finger in Hebrews chapter 11, because we're not going to be there for a few minutes, but we're going to turn to there. I'm going to use that passage in just a few moments. For over 180 years, First Baptist Church of Decatur, Alabama has been a consistent and faithful beacon of hope right here in downtown Decatur. Now, I don't know about you, but 180 years seems like a long time. Now, think about it. 180 years ago, Martin Van Buren was the president of the United States. 180 years ago, the United States commissioned its first postage stamp for the expensive price of five cents. 180 years ago, Florida wasn't even recognized as an official state. And yet, for 180 years, First Baptist Church has been faithful to love and to care for those in our community. More important than that, for 180 years, we have been faithful to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Christ, what we believe is the only hope for the world today, to those right here in downtown Decatur, in our community, in North Alabama, and all around the world. Even today, as you've noticed in your worship guide, we have a team of church members who are serving in Belize, taking the gospel to those who first will seek medical attention, but then we want to make sure that every person that sees part of our team is giving them the hope of the world. But church family, most more importantly than any of those things, for 180 years, we have stayed true to the Word of God. We have not wavered from our convictions that the truths that are found in this book are just as true today as they were over 2,000 years ago. And honestly, if you think about it, we enjoy the benefits of these beautiful facilities. We enjoy this rich spiritual heritage that we have today because of those who have gone before us. I've said this time and time again, and I mean it with all my heart, that we as a congregation, we stand on the shoulders of spiritual giants who have gone before us. I'm talking about lay members. Lay members who have been faithful to teach the Word of God. Lay members who have been faithful to sacrificially give so that we can enjoy, that we can be the beneficiaries of the strong church that we have today, not because of all that we've done, but because of the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. I hope that as a church family that we will never forget those who have put in so many sacrifices so that we could have the best tool, that's what this facility is, it's a tool to reach our community.
For over 180 years, First Baptist has faithfully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to a hurting world and been a lighthouse for this community. We have a rich spiritual heritage of men and women who have clung to the Word of God as well as sacrificially given so that future generations may know Christ. In 1908, the congregation of less than 110 people chose to trust God beyond what they could see and made an eternal investment in their community and the kingdom of God. With a passion to disciple believers and continue to strengthen their understanding of God's Word, the education building was built in 1940. In order to keep our worship centers beautiful and up-to-date, the chapel was renovated in 1987 and the sanctuary in 2003 with a new sound system, lighting, and roof. At the turn of this century, the church once again faithfully desired to reach our city with the gospel through a brand new secured preschool building, student center, and a beautiful recreation building. This was a massive project that not only required vision, but also a willingness from the congregation to collectively and faithfully give a passion for the next generation and to reach the city united, our church. Today, we're the recipients of that vision and sacrifice. In 2015, we desired to give our children the best possible space and to ensure their safety while on our campus, so we transformed the basement into the underground. Today, the space is used for Sunday school, Wednesday night activities, vacation Bible school, School of Fine Arts, Seize the Brain summer camp, deacons meetings, and many other community events. We've been given this beautiful facility as a gift to us. Others sacrificially gave so that we could enjoy the chapel, sanctuary, education building, preschool, and rock. In 2018, focused on greater things in front of us, your faithfulness retired our debt. This has allowed us to faithfully pursue how we can continue to reach people and make disciples in the future. But as with any building, continual updates, renovations, and repairs must occur. The same is true for our church. The chapel is one of the most beautiful places on our campus, but the interior is deteriorating, including a leaking roof and peeling plaster walls. We desire to restore the chapel so it can continue to be a facility used for multiple worship venues for years to come. Other than the sanctuary, the most used area in our church is the Rock Gym. From Wednesday night meals to FCA breakfast, to upward basketball, this room is the center of most community activity at our church. For years, we have had moisture issues with the roof. We have attempted numerous fixes, but leaks and condensation issues persist. Just in the last two years, our choir and orchestra has grown by over 50%. There is an energy and excitement in our worship services. We enter into the sanctuary with a sense of anticipation because of the way our choir and orchestra lead us in worship each week. Our choir suite hasn't been touched in over 20 years. The space, while large enough, is not adequately equipped to meet the needs of our worship ministry in 2020 and beyond. A more effective layout will allow for another multi-purpose space for ministry and community outreach. There has never been a more challenging time to reach students for the gospel, but with that challenge comes an even bigger need to share the grace and life that can be found in Jesus alone. Seth King is doing an incredible job reaching students and making disciples. We regularly see close to 100 students worshiping on Wednesday nights. 
In the last six months, we've seen 27 students make decisions for Christ. However, the student area hasn't been touched in over 20 years. The rooms are dated, run down, and the space does not display the excitement and momentum of what is happening with our students, nor the value and importance we place on our student ministry. First Baptist has beautiful church grounds, thanks to our facility team and hospitality team. Unfortunately, our community only sees the discolored outer windows of the chapel and sanctuary, not the beautiful stained glass we enjoy from the inside. The framework holding these beautiful windows are deteriorating and need immediate attention. It is my belief that this is our time, just as those in 1908, 1971, 1987, and 2003 sacrificially gave so we could reach thousands of people, this is our time to prove our faithfulness. This is our time to step up and to say we desire for our light to continue to shine brightly in downtown Decatur and in our community. Hosting events and welcoming others to our church is part of being in our community, but the ultimate goal is to see our friends, our neighbors, our city come to a saving faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our why. First Baptist, it is our time. Let us be found faithful. Church family, I believe that God is calling our generation at this time for us to once again to step out in faith and to demonstrate our love and our passion for one single purpose, and that is to reach our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand that we need to follow those that have gone before us beginning back in 1908, who back in 1908, these, these less than 110 people they envisioned something as they built the chapel that they could not even begin to see with their physical eyes. But spiritually, they believed that God was doing something and that God was, was going to do something in the future that they needed to sacrifice back then so that God would be, have a facility so that people of God could see what God can do with a group of people who are fully committed to him. Think about that. In 1908, many of those people who sacrificially gave, they never even got to see to full fruition of the harvest of the sacrifice that they made. So in the next six weeks, you're going to hear me share more details about the opportunities that are in front of us to ensure that we are good stewards of this incredible tool that we're good stewards of this amazing facility that has been entrusted to us. And it's our hope that we will revive our campus for one overarching goal, and that is to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus. Let me make this abundantly clear. We don't want the prettiest church in town so we can have pretty pictures, so that we can say, hey, look how beautiful our facility is. No, we believe, remember the body, we are the church, but we want to be good stewards of this facility so that we can use this tool to reach our neighbors for the gospel. So this project, we'll, we'll, we're looking to tackle five specific areas. The first area that we need to address is repairing the rock roof. Now, for those of you that have been here long, you know that we've had issues with the rock roof for over 20 years. 
that we've had leaking, that we've had condensation, that we have um, just issues that we've tried to fix. If your roof looked like what you saw on the video at your house, you'd get it fixed. If the roof looked like it did at one of the elementary schools or middle schools or high school, we'd get it fixed. Well, it's time for us to step up and to say, we've got to get this roof repaired. The second thing that we need to, to work on is renovating the student area. Some of you were in the student ministry, and you now have kids who are approaching the student ministry, and it looks the exact same when you were in the student ministry, right? It hadn't been touched in 20 years. We've got to give our students, when it's never been a more important time for us to reach that demographic for the gospel, we owe them our very best. The third area that we need to work on is restoring the Stevenson Chapel. That beautiful building that was built in 1908, that if you go in there now, looks like it's simply been abandoned. Through different leaks, through different issues that we've had, we want to restore it back to the beauty. So listen to me, we don't want a museum. We don't want, oh, let's go look and you can't touch anything. No, let's reutilize it for ministry. I desire to see weddings that are in there, that we can have Wednesday night church that's in there, that we can see prayer meetings that are held in there. But let's make sure that we're going to restore truly the legacy of the Stevenson Chapel. The fourth area is repairing the stained glass windows. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are 88 stained glass windows in this church. That seem like a lot to you. 88 of them. And if you look around here, you see how pretty they are inside. But when you leave the church and you look from the outside, you will see how they are falling in, how there's mildew, there's all sorts of issues, and they need to be repaired. Every year that we wait, all of these projects get more and more expensive. And the last area that we want to touch or tackle on this project is refurbishing our choir suite that I don't think anyone would deny that we are so thankful for the way they lead us in worship each and every week. Now, to accomplish these five projects, it's going to cost $1.5 million. Our hope is that in order to uh, tackle this goal, is that as a church family that we will step up and through our sacrificial pledges that we will make over a three-year period, that we'll commit to pledging over and above our tithes and offerings. Now, some of you are saying, now, Blake, we just got out of debt. Why are we doing this? Well, remember, when we got out of debt, there was a reason. We wanted to prepare ourselves financially and spiritually so that we could then tackle some of these maintenance and facility issues that we've had for years and years. But here, here's my promise to you. We're not going to finance this project for 10, 15, 20 years. We're not going to go borrow a bunch of money. My commitment to you is that whatever we pledge as a church, that is the amount that we're going to spend on renovations. So... If we pledge $1.2 million, then we will only renovate up to $1.2 million worth of needs. But I truly believe that we're going to step up to the plate. I have full confidence that we collectively will come together and say that this is our time and that we want to address all of these issues that we've had for years and years. Now, just as an encouragement, I want you to know that your staff and your deacons 
The personnel and the finance committee are 100% on board with this project. Most of them have already made their pledges, and through their pledges, we're already more than a third of the way there. They've pledged over $500,000. So as a church family, we're looking for um, up to a million dollars in pledges over the next three years. So we're going to hit this hard over the next six weeks. But understand, you're not going to hear me preach on this each and every Sunday for the next. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to faithfully teach and preach the Word of God. But you will hear through different media opportunities, through different visual opportunities, the impact and the possibility of what could take place if we will faithfully step up and meet the challenges that we have today. So on March 22nd, which is six weeks from today, will be what we're calling our Pledge Sunday. And we're asking for each and every church member to make a pledge, a commitment on that Sunday. As you leave in just a few minutes, you're going to receive from our ushers a pamphlet. And it's got information and answers some questions that you might have about what is taking place, about when it will take place, and how much it will cost. But here's what I'm asking from you. Make this a matter of prayer. That you would go home with your spouse, with your family, and say, Lord, we want to be faithful. What is it you're calling us to sacrificially give? I want you to ask me any questions you have. Ask the staff, ask the deacons. We want full and complete transparency on what we're trying to accomplish. But simply go before the Lord and say, Lord, what is it you're calling me to do so that we can make sure that this facility is equipped to do that one overarching thing, and that is to go out and to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that it's worth it. I believe that this is our time, and friends, I believe that we will step up, and I believe that at this time, we will be found faithful for what God has entrusted to us. Now, as you know, it's not just members of First Baptist Decatur who have demonstrated what it means to live a life that is faithful to the calling of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your Bibles there, that's an incredible chapter uh, that gives us example after example of men and women who have faithfully lived for the Lord. Men and women who understood that their life was to be lived for more than just themselves, but was to be lived For eternity. Let's look at the first seven verses of Hebrews chapter 11. The author says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended commended as having pleased God, and without faith, It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, 
being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So the author of Hebrews, which by the way, we're not really sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, he clearly tells us about men and women of faith. And you say, well, what is faith? Well, faith he describes in verse 1 where he says it's the assurance of things hoped for, but the conviction of things not seen. And he says that men and women of faith, that they set their eyes on God's invisible realities. So for people of faith, for men and women of faith, listen to me closely. They know that God's plan is infinitely more important than what they can see with their own eyes. Let me say that again. People of faith know that God's plan is infinitely more important than what they can see with their eyes. So let me ask you right now, put as bluntly as I can, as you go about your life, as you make your daily choices, do you see the world through the lens of what you can physically see, or do you see it through the lens of what God desires? Do you see it through the lens of God's purpose, not only for the world, but for your life? There are four things, according to the author of Hebrews, that men and women of faith have this framework of how they view their life. I want you to write these things down. These are, this, according to Hebrews chapter 11, these four the, the, the attitudes or views form a framework for how they view their life. Number one, they believe that God created the universe. You see that in verse 3. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Church, the size and complexity of our universe, it's impossible to even try to describe or explain. Think about this. The nearest star in our galaxy is 25 million miles away. There's a a star that's named Betelgeuse. Yes, it is Betelgeuse. And I I did go to Google and made it play it for me to make sure I was saying it correctly. And that, that star, Betelgeuse, is 27 million times larger than our own sun. It's so large that it would take 14, 25 million mile trips to travel its diameter. And we also know I got this from Mr. Jim Odom, so it's got to be true, right? He says that NASA now knows and believes there are more stars in our galaxy than there are grains of sand on every beach in the world. Think about that. And then to realize that we are only one of a hundred thousand million galaxies. Now, friends, I don't know about you. But we believe that God spoke all of that into existence. And if God is big enough to speak all of that into existence, then he gets to set the rules. He gets to set the standards, not you and me. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong, what what we want to believe. But we believe that God spoke the universe into existence, so we are going to live by his standards and his truths. Not only do we believe that God created the universe, the second 
piece of our framework is that God's holiness requires that sinners offer him a faithful sacrifice. We see that in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. See, we see from Cain and Abel proof that God looks at the heart. It was Abel's faith that compelled him to bring what? The best possible offering that he could bring. Abel believed God. He believed that he was who he says he was. And as a result, because he believed him, he didn't want to give his leftovers. He wanted to bring God his very best. The third thing as far as part of our framework is we believe that there is life after death. You see that in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. God's choice for Enoch was that he would bypass um, death directly and enter into his presence. Don't we all wish that's the way God would choose to take us? Right? Just He walked with God and then he was no more. Wouldn't that be an incredible way? This is proof that there is a future life. But that's not the ultimate proof. The ultimate proof, the ultimate evidence that, that there's life after death was given to us through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That he defeated sin and death. And if we believe that there is life after death, then we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, should say that what happens in the next life is more important than what happens in this life. That we are going to live more for tomorrow than we are for what we have on this temporary earth today. And finally, we believe that God's wrath does exist. Not a topic we like to talk about a whole lot, but we see it in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Noah had this faith, and Noah's faith, it compelled him to obey God. And so he escaped God's wrath, which God's wrath at that point came in the form of what? A, a flood. So Noah listened to God. But he didn't stop by hearing God. Then he obeyed God, even while others, think about this, even while others scoffed and they ridiculed him for what he was doing and they refused to repent. And church, even today there are scoffers, aren't there? Even today there are people who say, oh, there's no, rat, there's no coming day that, that's coming that we're going to stand before God. But as men and women of faith, we live our lives knowing that each and every one of us, there is coming a day when we will stand face to face before God Almighty. The author of Hebrews, he then goes on to give us an incredible example of living out your faith through the person of Abraham. Look at verses 8 through 12. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven 
and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham is the primary example for you and I for what it means to live a life of faith. From what we just read about from Abraham, the life of faith, he showed that he was obedient to follow the Lord. Obedient to follow him even to a land in which he didn't know where he was going. But he was obedient. God told me, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to follow. He was content to trust that God would fulfill his promise. To fulfill the promise that he would give him a land that he had been promised. So much so that until that time had come that he and Sarah actually lived contently in tents in Canaan. And finally, the example of faith that we have from Abraham was that he trusted God for things he could not see. Church, Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years to see God's promise of a son fulfilled. Think about that. 25 years. How many of us, after God doesn't respond, after one or two days, much less one or two weeks or one or two years, we throw up our hands and say, well, God, where are you? How come you didn't come through for me? But for 25 years, they waited and they trusted that God would fulfill the promise that he made. Hear me on this, church. If God promises something, you can mark it down. It will come to completion. Now, it may not happen on your timetable. It may not happen in the way that you have envisioned that if you were God, you would make it, but you can mark it down. If it's a promise that's found in Scripture, rest assured, he will carry it out until it's complete. The problem with so many of us, including me, is that we only live from day to day. We only live with what we can see right in front of us. But as I've said before, remember, God paints on a much larger canvas than your week, than your life, than your neighborhood, than your family. And he's painting on this huge canvas. The question is this, are we willing to invest in something that, listen to me closely on this, we may never see completely fulfilled in our lifetime. Are we willing to say that we're going to trust you, God? We're going to completely invest in something. We may never see it fully come to fruition in our lifetime. As followers of Jesus, we need to live today for what will last forever. Let me close by reading verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, whomever were the first readers, whoever were the first men and women to have heard this letter read to them, they knew the names of those individuals. They knew their stories. They knew the examples of their faith. 
These people and their ancestors, they shared faith in God's promise that God would carry it out, wouldn't even listen to me. It probably looked like in their lifetime they would not see it come to fruition. Think about this. Generation after generation of men and women, they lived by what? By faith that God would fulfill his promise, namely that God would eventually send a Messiah, that he would send his son, and they lived by faith even though they never saw it come to fulfillment. They looked and they longed and they waited for his arrival. But for all of those in the Old Testament, they never with their eyes saw that promise fulfilled. But instead... They served as trailblazing believers because they believed spiritually what their eyes could not see. So here's my closing challenge for all of us. My challenge is this. Whatever comes your way, would you look beyond yourself not with your physical eyes, not with what you can physically see, but would you look beyond yourself with eyes of faith to God's promised future? May we as individual followers of Jesus, may we as his church learn to walk by faith, not by sight. May we long, may we commit to living for more than what this temporary life has to offer. In the very next chapter, in Hebrews chapter 12, the author tells us that we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And that as his followers, that we are to follow him with a single-minded focus that the world is behind us and that we are so laser-focused on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we, as followers of Jesus in 2020, be found faithful in God's eyes. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's our hope and our prayer that we would not waste an opportunity that you have given us to demonstrate our faith in you, our trust in you, whether it's sharing the gospel with a neighbor, a coworker, whether it's serving in a certain ministry, Lord, whether it's giving to this uh, campaign so that we can continue to reach our neighborhoods, to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus. We simply desire that we, because of what you've done in our hearts, would live for something more important than just our life, but that we would use this life you've given us and that we would invest in eternity. Help us to live with a proper perspective as men and women of faith. And dearly, Father, if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today that they would call out to you that they would trust in you and they would repent of their sins and they would ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Work in our hearts and our lives. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? And as 
we sing the song of commitment. If you have a public decision, I'll be down front. But for the rest of us, would we say, Lord, this is my life. Once again, today, my hands are open. I'm offering it all to you. Let's sing together.